Book of Titus, chapter number two. Paul is uh, is writing to Titus here. Titus is a a bishop or a pastor, leader of a church in, in Crete, and Paul is writing here, <coughs> instructing him on on how to lead, how to live, in order to be a blessing to others. And and we're gonna we're gonna try to take a little bit of that in our life on how to on how to lead and how to live and how to be a blessing to others. Exactly the goal of, of Paul to Titus is exactly the goal of God to us. In chapter number 1, verse number 4, Paul says to Titus, mine own son, after the common faith. The first thing is, is brothers and sisters in Christ, that we have to have is, is we have to begin in that common faith. Without that common faith, without, uh, without the faith, without the grace, like we said in the, in the Sunday school lesson this morning, without the testament, uh, it, 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 all, it all flops initially, immediately. So without that foundation, we fail. But, but after that, Paul begins to write to him. And he begins to give him the, the qualifications of bishops and elders and, and how we're supposed to live and, and, and all of that. And we're going to begin in chapter number 2, verse number 1. Paul said, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. That the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith and charity and patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, nor giving much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers of the home, good, obedient to their own husbands, to word of God be not blasphemed. The uh, young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded, in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, of doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. That he is of contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Now we all understand that without uh, without learning, without being educated in things, there, there are certain things in this life that we simply cannot figure out on our on our own. Uh, a couple of years ago, I went to eat at Brother Stephen and Sister Christina's house after uh, after church one Sunday, and they had this pot of green beans. It was the best green beans that I've ever tasted in my life, and and I asked his wife it what she did. She said, well, you put a pound of bacon in anything and it makes it good. So she gave me the recipe and, and I, I've, I've been making them ever since. But there's something in those green beans that I never would have guessed was in there. I, I don't really taste it, but I have made it without it before and it don't taste right. It, it tastes weird. And, and, and so I never would have been able to figure out that there is soy sauce in those green beans. It's, it's not something that I taste real heavy. It's not something that, that, just, that just jumps out at you. But it's something that without it, the green beans wouldn't be the same. They, they wouldn't be right. They, they wouldn't be complete. Some things we just have to be taught. Where do we learn the doctrines of God from? I'll give you one easy answer. Where do we learn the doctrines of God? Somebody, anybody. The Bible. Who said that? I got a peppermint for you. The Bible is where we learn the doctrines of God. But that, that, that is not it. Okay? That is not all. That is not where it ends. Because I can read the Bible, and I do read the Bible, and I don't understand all of it. I don't understand everything that I read. I have to go back. I have to study. I have to go to other places. A lot of times I go to people. I do. I'm a dummy, Brother Randy. I am. 
And I've never claimed to be a genius. I never have. People always told me in high school that I was smart. I told them I'm blessed. But very few times can we read in the Bible and, and we get everything that we need simply out of the Bible. We can't get everything that we need out of the Bible. Any of you ever followed a recipe? Decided that recipe wasn't quite good enough so you adjust it to make it your own? Right? Because your mama did it a little bit different? Because your grandma did it a little different? Because you couldn't quite figure it out so I was pressure canning green beans this past week. And my grandma brought me a pressure canner from the 1910s, 20s. It was old. About yay big around. It was a little short one. About yay tall. It fit five quart jars in there. And I put them all in there. Well, my pressure canner that I used to use had a, a gauge on top of it. The circle about yay big. And it had numbers all the way around it. And, and what I did whenever my more green beans is I would wait and I'd boil it until it got to 10. Once it got to 10, I would turn it down to medium and I would try to maintain 10 pounds of pressure for 20 minutes. And I would pressure, I would can my green beans. But nannies didn't have a, didn't have a gauge on it. So I looked, she had a little book there with it, and I guess the page that told you how to use it was torn out. It had recipes in it, and it had how to prepare it, it had how to clean it. But it didn't have everything that I needed inside of there. Yes, God's Word has everything that we need, but God instructs us not to, not to forget that, that older men and women have something to teach us as well. So I called up my grandma. Turns out this is one of the pressure canners that had the little jingler on top. I didn't know what a little jingler was. I had to learn it from her. I couldn't get it out of a book. And they didn't have YouTube when these canners come out, so I couldn't even get it off of YouTube. I couldn't figure it out. I had to get it from her. Paul is saying to Titus, he said, teach the old people to be teachers. Teach the elders to be teachers. Let them be teachers. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. Young, young men are, are training to be teachers because no matter how young you are, one day you will be a teacher. Chances are today you already are a teacher. And I'm not going to get into the debate of who's young and who is old because that is very, very different. A lot of you in here is old enough to be my parents. Most of you old enough to be my grandparents. But to Bailey, I'm old. You understand that, right? It's all a matter of perspective. So to Bailey, I can teach her things. I'm old to her. But, but Dean, you're, you're old to me. You are. You're an elder to me. Brother Randy, you're an elder to me. You are. And, and, and it goes back to, to perspective. Whenever I teach kids in school, they, they, they look up to, to their teachers because they're older, they're wiser. They're supposed to have knowledge, right? Half the time that don't work, but they're supposed to have knowledge. So whenever Brother Dean stands up and gives a Sunday school lesson, it's, it's, it's our job as individuals, it's our job as, as church members, as Christians, to learn from that. Every inch of it. Every aspect of it. And as teachers, as individuals, there's a life that we are supposed to live. And that's what Paul is getting down to Timothy. He said the old men, be, uh, the, the aged men, be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, charity, and patience. And that, that number two verse right there is a mouthful. There's not a person in here that I believe, I know that I certainly have, and most people that I know. We can work our whole life at this, and we'll never be 100%. We'll never get there. We will never be what God wants us to be in temperance, or in faith, or in charity, or in patience. 
that does not mean that that should not shine in our life. Everything that we possess, everything that God gives us, allows us to have every inch that He allows us to grow should be something else that shines in our life that the world can see. Every time we come to church, we, we should be able to, to, to gain something. When I got to high school, my parents always asked me when I come home, learn anything today? And what's a typical answer for a high school student? Nope. Not a thing. These days, that's true for junior high kids. Elementary, they'll come home. Nope, didn't learn a thing. Didn't do a thing in school today. Why do we go if it's not to learn? I got to college before I figured out I had to be in class. Why not get something out of it? I skipped a lot of school when I was in high school. I was present in school, but I went to the ag shop. Or I went to the gym. Or I went somewhere other than a classroom because I, I, I didn't I didn't value that knowledge. I didn't value learning any of that. I, I didn't I didn't want it. And going to church is the same way, and, and reading God's word is the same way, and, and talking to the elders is the same way. We can sit and we can listen to a Sunday school lesson until we until we pass out. But if we do not desire to learn anything of it, if we do not desire faith, charity, temperance, patience, if we don't desire that, we're not going to get anything out of it. And whenever you go home and sit around the dinner table, ask them, what you learned in church today? If they say absolutely nothing, you have wasted your time. Absolutely wasted your time. If you don't get anything out of God's Word, then you need to, you need to have a checkup with God. How often does the WHO, World Health Organization, how often do they recommend that you get a general wellness checkup? Anybody know? They recommend twice a year, every six months, for anybody over the age of 18. Every six months they recommend that you get a wellness checkup. How often do we go through a wellness checkup with God? How often do we check on our spiritual health and our spiritual growth? Because if three years from now Bailey is still this tall, you know what? We have a problem. We have a problem. And we're going to be investigating what in the world has going on. She's not supposed to still be this tall. If none of you has picked up Brady in the last couple of weeks, that stuff is heavy. It is. But if he stops growing right there, then we have a problem. As Christians, how often do we check up on our spiritual health? How often do we check up on, on whether or not we're, we're sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith? How, how often do we have a faith checkup? How often do we evaluate ourselves based on God's criteria? Verse number three, the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. I want to go back to the first part of this verse. He says, the aged women likewise. Paul is not separating men and women here. He started with men, and he's saying the women are to be likewise. Which means what he says about the women, he, it applies to men. What he says about the men applies to women. That they be in behavior as becometh holiness. Anybody ever heard the term, I'm ready to lose my Jesus? And you get really fired up, really mad, I'm going to lose my Jesus. You ever heard that? I've heard it several times in my life. People get upset. People get mad. I mean, their face turned red. And I'm going to lose my Jesus in here. There's no such thing as losing Jesus. I want to make that absolutely clear. But we can act. We can behave 
that does not become holiness. That is not of God. Not to be false accusers, nor given to much wine, but teachers of good things. Go down to verse number 11. Paul says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. And there are several different types of grace or several different applications of grace. We're not going to get into all of them today. But today I want to look at two applications of grace that God has sent to us. One is the saving grace. That is the most number one, most important thing in this world. Is that saving grace. Is that you accept that saving grace. Is that you believe in that saving grace. Is that, you, is that saving grace applies to your heart. And if it does not, then, then we already have a problem. We need to stop right here and we need to discuss why it is that grace has not been applied to your life. Grace is something that we do not deserve and God gives to us anyway, such as salvation. Throughout the epistles of Paul, he calls it the free gift. Over and over and over, it's the free gift, the free gift. You know why he says that? What do people do when you see a big sign that says free? You stop. When you're walking through Walmart and you see free samples, no, you're walking through Sam's. And you see free samples, what it is you do? What, what is it you do? You know, mom and daddy, they never had a pile of money. So we leave and, and we go to town on Sundays after dinner. And we go eat Sunday dinner at Sam's. We would. We'd make circles around that place. And whenever they start to recognize us, we'd swap jackets with the other person. And we would eat Sunday dinner at Sam's. It was, it was great. It was phenomenal. You know why? Because it was free. Because those samples were free. And, and whenever you see something that says free, it, it catches your eyes. It makes you stop. You see a billboard that says free oil change. Whether you need an oil change or not, guess what? You might stop. Paul uses that word because it, it catches people eye. It catches people's eye. It makes them stop. It makes them slow down and, and, and evaluate and look at, at what it is. But there's so many people today that they'll take a free back massager or they'll take a free oil change or they'll take a free piece of cheese on a cracker but they won't accept a free Christ. That grace that applies to salvation is the number one most important thing in this world because it affects not only today and tomorrow, it affects your eternity, it affects your everlasting home. It affects everything. You can make, you, you make two or three dozen circles through Sam's and whenever you get home, you're going to be hungry again. <coughs> You make one pass by Jesus Christ, you accept Him as your personal Savior. And He said, there'll a well of water be springing up within you that you'll never thirst again. You'll never hunger again once you accept that bread of life. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this morning, if you'll believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, He will save you to the uttermost. And there'll never be an opportunity to lose your Jesus. The Bible says that you will be transformed. A new creature. You'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. All the, uh, the old things are passed away, and you will be made new. At that point, you become a person living for Christ. Those of us who are saved, we are people living for Christ. Does our life show that? Does our life prove that? For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us. That's that second grace. That second grace is grace extended to us that goes beyond salvation. That grace extended to us that, that is with us each and every day. And there are two avenues of that. One is that teaching grace. The other is the forgiving grace. 
The first we're going to talk about today is that teaching grace. The Holy Spirit that God sends to us through His grace teaches us. This verse right here is a mouthful. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. I've heard a lot of speculation of what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. Everybody will give you a different answer if you're not very careful. The, the, the majority of people that I've talked to that think that they have an answer say that it was some sort of physical ailment. I heard one the other day that I thought was spot on. If you get an opportunity, I'm sure Brother Doug will share it with you. He said it was pride. That that was Paul's thorn in the flesh. You know that is something that all men struggle with. And the majority of evil in the world, that, that falls to the root of it. Pride. That is ungodliness. Being too proud. Being ashamed of God. Being ashamed of His Word. Being ashamed of church. Being too proud to walk around there. Too proud to help out with this. That is part of that ungodliness that He says to deny. The Holy Spirit teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. We can't do it without the help of the Spirit. It's impossible. It's not going to happen. We can't do it. The Holy Spirit will help us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. So that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. God knows that we are living in this world. He says that we are in the world, but we are not of the world. That is because the Holy Spirit should help us to live soberly, righteously, and godly. Those three things is God's teaching grace extended to us. God's teaching grace through the Holy Spirit can teach us to live soberly. You know what soberly means? What does it mean if you, let's flip it around. What does it mean if you are not sober? If you are not sober, you are not in control. You are not in your right mind. You are not capable of, of controlling your, your faculties. You are not capable of controlling your thoughts. You are not capable of, of, of manipulation of words. You're not capable of memory. To live soberly is to be focused, to be alert, and to be not hindered by the things of this world. You know that there's a lot more than drugs and alcohol that can cause us to live not quite soberly. There's a lot of things that can cause us to live impaired. Any of those that cause us to live unfocused on God? Whether it's TV, whether it's cell phones, whether it's fishing or golf or, or whatever it may be, if it causes us to not be focused on God, if it causes us to be mentally impaired to the point that we don't think about reading our Bible for two or three days in a row, and we don't think about witnessing to others for a week at a time, and we don't miss church whenever we miss church. We used to go up to Tinsaw hunting during the winter. Normally we'd go a week during Thanksgiving and a week during Christmas. And whenever we would go, it's really hard to get up there and get back home and not miss a church service. Because we have church twice on Sundays, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and we have church on Wednesday night. And all of my life, we, 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 we didn't miss very many church services at all, if we could help. So whenever we went up there to go deer hunt, we said, we're going to find us church to go to. So the first church we went to, and I've told you about that uh, apostolic chapel that we went to. 
with the guy that, that, that owned the, the place we were hunting on, and then we said we're not going to go back there. So driving down the road is, I think it was Bigger Plenty Road was the name of it. There was this little bitty white church, and it was probably the size of, of half of this building. I mean, it was itty bitty. Looked like one of them pictures an old postcard had on an old white church with white steeple. So we went in. It was on a Wednesday night. There were four or five other people there. We were the youngest people in the building by probably 50 years. An old man walked in. He was a preacher, and, and he looked at us. He walked a little further, and then he looked again. He said, we don't get very many visitors. And my daddy said something that, that I never will forget. He said, uh, he said, we don't sit out of church. We don't miss physical meals. We don't miss spiritual meals. And every year that we went up there from that point forward, we even made a couple of Sunday night services up there. The old man passed away and his son came down from Arkansas and is now pastoring that little bitty church. Last time we went, five or six years ago, it was the same five or six old people still there. But they said, we don't sit out of church because if we miss a spiritual meal, we go hungry. We start to shrink. We start to get smaller. We start to get weak. We start to get less and less sober and vigilant. We start to get less and less able to live righteously, soberly, and godly in, the, in this present world. As Christians, that is our job. Turn over, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse number 1. It says, We as workers together with Him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. What does it mean when Paul says we also? We then as workers together with Him. With who? You know that, that men put the, the verse and the chapter dividers in here. You back up a little bit and, and Paul is talking about Laboring with Christ. There's not a single person in here that can save another. There's not a single person in here that can draw another to salvation. You can't do it, I can't do it. Jesus said, no man come to the Father, but by me. Except for the Father, draw him. Except that the Holy Spirit draw a person to salvation. No man is going to come to salvation. So whenever we work, we're working together with Christ. We are not working by ourselves. We are working together with Christ. Verse number 2. For he saith, I have heard thee in an accepted time, and in the day of salvation I have succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. We understand that we all have a ministry. We all have a witness. We all have a testimony. And it is very, very, very easy to damage that. He said, giving no offense in anything. I don't believe that Paul is saying to be a people pleaser. But in anything outside of the gospel of Christ, he said, he said don't offend nobody. Giving no offense outside of the gospel of Christ. And I believe that with all my heart. I believe that Paul meant... We know that the Bible offends people, right? It does. The Bible offends people. Because the Bible says that homosexuality is a sin. That offends people. 
The Bible says that abortion is murder. That offends people. The Bible offends people. That, that's what it does. The Bible says all have sinned. The people say, I'm perfect. The Bible offends people. It's supposed to. It's the convicting power of God. But anything outside of the Bible, we understand that we can say things that have nothing to do with the Word of God and it impacts our witness. It impacts our testimony. It impacts our ability to, to share with others and to live for Christ in others' in, in others' view. And that's what Paul is talking about. He said, offend no man. Give no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. It will affect our testimony. He said, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience, afflictions, necessities, and distress, in stripes and imprisonments and tumults and labors and watchings and fastings, by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of the truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the hand and on the left, by honor, by dishonor, by evil report, by good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things. O oh, ye Corinthians, our mouth is, in, is open for you and our heart is enlarged. Paul had what we call a zeal for these people. Paul cared for these people. And if you get an opportunity to, to go and study verses you know, 3 through 11, there's a lot in this. But ultimately, Paul is going back to the living righteous. Paul is going back to, to being a living witness. And in order to do that, and, and you'll find in almost every one of Paul's epistles that he wrote, whenever he's giving instructions, whenever he's trying to encourage the church, he uses one word over and over and over and over and over again. He used the word patience. It's in every one of them. It's in this one, verse number four. In every one of them, he says, in patience, you know why? That's, that's one of men's. Weakest points is patience. Patience with one another. Patience with God. Patience with God's Word. Patience with a lost world. Patience with all of these things that He lists here. We are working for God. We are working for Him. We are working with Christ. And whenever things get hard... Whenever things get difficult, we are still working with Christ. We are not working by ourselves. What did Jesus say in Matthew? He said, take my yoke upon you. Y'all seen the ox yoke? Most people know what that is. The ox yoke, bored by Yalong. They put an ox head in one side and an ox head in the other side and they pull together. They both pull the load. We can't pull it by ourselves. We can't bear our burden alone. We can't work in the ministry for Christ without Christ. We can't do the work of God. We can't live soberly, righteously, and godly in this world without Christ. We can't do it. It's impossible. We learn from others. We teach others. But we're working with Christ. That makes all the difference in the world. But we have to maintain it. If we stop pulling, you know what Jesus does? 
If we stop working, you know what Jesus does? I heard a guy say one time, and I kind of adopted it. He said, I'll help anybody willing to help themselves. And I adopted that to my teaching style. I'll help any kid that's willing to help themselves. I found myself wrong because sometimes kids just don't know the better. It's our responsibility to help them regardless. It's our responsibility to try to, to, try to reach them regardless. But I believe that a lot of times Jesus looks at us that way, that if they're not willing to help themselves, if they're not willing to work, if they're not willing to put on the armor of God, if they're not willing to, to, to if we're not willing to walk godly, if we're not willing to put aside pride, if we're not willing to put aside those ungodly lusts, if we're not willing, if we're not willing to pull Why should Jesus pull all the weight? He said, if any man be my disciple, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. This morning here, if you're here and you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, we are working with Christ for the kingdom of God. If you're here and you do not know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you're working your way straight to hell. That could all change today. Sister Joy said today is her spiritual birthday. It could be yours. But you have to believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You have to take Him in faith. You have to believe in the death, burial, and resurrection. God's one and only begotten Son, and you'll be saved before it be everlasting. Too late. There will come a day, but there'll be no more chances. There'll be no more one more time. There'll be no more tomorrow. I urge you believe in Jesus. While there's still time and opportunity. While we have a verse of song, we'll ask for...